of course, we've been going through Jeremiah, and it's Jeremiah, God's Plan Prevails is the series title. And we have looked over the last few weeks at a lot of different things. Now, I know some of you might not have been able to hear um, the sermon last week. We had some recording difficulties, and I've, I've, I've figured that out. I understand what's going on. Um, but uh, the last few weeks, we have been looking at from Jeremiah 22 all the way through 28, and as you know by now, unless you're listening for the first time, then you, you probably understand that Jeremiah was not written in chronological order, that it was written um, in a way that addresses different things throughout the book. It has a certain structure where uh, J- Judah is being addressed. And then there's the exile and, and the people that are there that are being addressed. And, and then you have the foreign countries and kings that are being addressed. There are different reasons for Jeremiah being structured the way it is. Um, but today we are going to look more at it from a linear timeline type uh, perspective. And the reason we want to do that is because uh, it, it will help us to, to put together some of the things that we've been talking about. And after we look at that, we'll go straight into Jeremiah 29 in Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14, the, the sermon title is God's Good Plan Prevails. We're going to see how God's plan is good today, how it's for our welfare, our good. And we'll, we'll look at that together in just a little while. Um, but I want to make sure that we understand where we are in, when we're reading this uh, because of the way the timeline is out of order a little bit in Jeremiah. And so in order to do that, I'm about to put a timeline on the screen, and it's going to cover most of the screen. And if you're on your phone, you might not be able to read this, but I'm going to be going along with it. But if you're on a tablet, a computer, or especially television, then you should be able to see this clearly. Um, First, these things come from 2 Kings chapters 22 through 25 and 2 Chronicles chapters 34 through 36 and the book of Jeremiah. There's a little bit more, of course, the, uh, you can go to the book of Daniel, you can go to the book of Ezekiel. These things are happening within this timeline also, um, a little later on in the timeline, not necessarily as early as Jeremiah, uh, but they're very helpful in understanding what's going on here. Uh, it, it, remember the very first sermon that I preached, the first week in February, I, I know all of you remember that from Jeremiah, um, we actually, before we started diving into Jeremiah, we looked at some other things that happened previously, specifically in the life of Josiah. And so we're going to talk about some of those things going on a little past where we already are, but things that we've already discussed that have already been mentioned in Jeremiah. And this isn't the whole timeline of Jeremiah. This is some, these are some of the details up to this point of where we are this week and a little bit past that. Um, but we'll look at that in more detail later. So uh, in 644 BC, and so we're going to be working toward the year, you know, 1 BC, 1 AD, that that timeline. Um, And and so we won't be going, the number won't be getting bigger, it will be getting smaller as we look at this. And so in 644 BC, Jeremiah was born. Now, if you remember Josiah, who was the young boy king, uh, he became king in 640. So Je- Josiah is a little bit older than Jeremiah, but as we'll get to in a second, and you might remember, uh, Josiah uh, died before Jeremiah. And so 
Josiah becomes king in 640. And then in 627, that's Jeremiah chapter 1 when God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. And then if you go back to 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, you'll see that the book of the law, if you remember when uh, when Josiah was king and they were going to to rebuild the temple, to take care of it, and to, you know, it's it was kind of in ruins because it hadn't been used the proper way. They were cleaning it out. Uh, they find the book of the law. And so that's in 622 B.C. And then going to the next column, because we're going uh, top to bottom, left to right. Uh, 609, Josiah dies. If you remember, he we wish he wouldn't have gone out to uh, uh, address the king of Egypt, but he did. And he died, and Jehoahaz becomes king. Well, his reign didn't last long, three months, because um, the king, the Pharaoh, who killed Josiah, was worried that maybe the people would rebel. So he took their king and, uh, and replaced him with Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim uh, becomes king, and that's we see Jehoiakim... Uh, many times in Jeremiah. We've, we've looked at Jehoiakim and studied him many times in the past sermons. Uh, so Jehoiakim, he becomes king in 609. And then in 605, we see the temple sermon that Jeremiah preached. And again, this was early in our sermons on Jeremiah when we looked at this. We actually looked at this in, cha- the, in chapter 1, when we were still looking at chapter 1, because the things that God prophesied that Jeremiah would have to go through in that we have already seen some of those things now since we're later in Jeremiah. Um, those things were mentioned in in 26 in chapters 26, 36, 45. We see that and you know 45 being when Jeremiah was talking to uh, Barak or Baruch, however you say it. And uh, and so those are some of the things that were happening in 605. Now we're we're further in Jeremiah. Uh, but that was that. And then the first exiles were taken. Most people believe that the same, about the same time Jeremiah is preaching this sermon from chapter 7, that um, the first exiles are being taken at that point. And Jehoiakim in 605, he becomes a vassal of Babylon, meaning that he is submitting to the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And he is even given money, right? Like Kind of like paying taxes to the king of Babylon. And, and this is when the exile started going and we see that. Uh, but then in 601, he rebels against Babylon. And, and remember, Jeremiah has told them they're not supposed to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar is bringing God's punishment. He is doing God's work in this. And But uh, Jehoiakim, he rebels in 601. And then in 598, Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem. Because of the rebellion and, and uh, Jehoiakim's actions, Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem, and then in uh, 597, Jehoiakim dies. And 597 is an important date because that's when Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim's son, becomes king, and he and Daniel and many others are taken into exile into Babylon. Uh, Daniel being the book of Daniel, of course. And and we, he took the skilled workers, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did, out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. So this was a big moment. And we've seen this. We've talked about this in Jeremiah already to this point. Um, And then where we are today is in 594 B.C. In 594 B.C., Jeremiah 27 through 29 occurred. And we looked at chapters 27 and 28 last week. And I'm about to mention those again in just a moment. Um, 
Uh, but then it wasn't too many years later, 586 BC, when Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, and so this is a big thing. This is what's being prophesied is going to happen. Uh, if you remember over the last few weeks, and uh, we, we were going to look at all of chapter 29, but with the changes that took place this week in our community, uh, I'm, I'm just going to stick and focus on uh, the first part of Jeremiah chapter 29. I will summarize the end of chapter 29, and then we were going to even look at some of chapter 30, but we'll talk about that next week. I'm going to add that to what we already had planned for next week. And so with that said, uh, where we have been over the last few weeks is, as God has said, uh, remember the exiles, some of them, a lot of them have already been taken. And God says that those who willingly go to into exile are good figs. And he, he uses this comparison that, that they're sweet, that they're right, you're good. Uh, that's what God wants. He wants the people to go into exile because this is their punishment for all of the injustices that have occurred in their nation. This is their punishment for worshiping other gods. This is their punishment for neglecting the foreigners and the widows and the orphans. Uh, this is their punishment for shedding innocent blood. And so uh, God wants them to accept their punishment, which is exile. And if they do that, then it'll be good in exile. And we'll look at that in more detail today. But then he compared some to bad figs. The bad figs were the people who did not want to go into exile. And they were the ones who were going to try to stay in Jerusalem. We're going to try to fight Nebuchadnezzar. And God says uh, that they will be destroyed. And then last week, we looked at an example of Hananiah creating this yoke because God came to him. Thus says the Lord, go and build this yoke. And a yoke being something that goes around your necks that keep oxen or whatever you're using, right, uh, side by side and um, help them go where the person leading them wants them to go. And the person leading, depending on how you read it, it could be the person leading or the person that's under the yoke with them, so they have to go in that direction, uh, is Nebuchadnezzar. And um, so the people have to go where Nebuchadnezzar wants them to go. And Jeremiah is prophesying this. And remember, he's already taken a bunch of people, including Jehoiakim, including the king, uh, into exile. And yet the false prophets are saying that this is going to be over. Don't listen to Jeremiah. He's crazy. And so Jeremiah builds this yoke. He wears it around. He says it's going to be 70 years, which he said before. I think it was chapter 25. And um, it's going to be a long time. We'll see that 70 years again. And if you're looking at the timeline here, some people, there are disagreements on when the timeline started. Some people think it was um, that the exile the official exile began when Jerusalem was destroyed in 586. Some people think it was earlier when the first exiles were taken, uh, but it was going to be 70 years from whenever it started to whenever it ended. And ending, some people say it ends when the first exiles got to go back into Jerusalem. Some people say, no, it wasn't, uh, the exile didn't end until the temple was rebuilt, rededicated uh, later on. So anyway, there's 70 years. We'll see that again. And uh, the reason I'm explaining these things in advance is because when we look at the scripture, it's going to be a little bit different this week. Because when we read this scripture, I'm not going to stop and talk a whole lot and explain what's happening because I've already explained it in this and in other times. And so we're going to look at it, we're going to read it, and we're going to go and we're going to let the word of God speak in power. And so um, going back to the last few chapters, Jeremiah, because of the way it's divided, 
a lot of people will, will say that, um, for example, chapter 7 all the way through chapter 29, that's one section of Jeremiah. Um, some people will divide even that section into smaller sections. We've been looking at, the way I have it organized, looking at chapters 22 through 29 the last three weeks. And we looked at chapter 22 where they went down to the king's house and Jeremiah told the king, you are wrong. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. You are not supposed to be taking advantage of the, uh, the foreigners. You're not supposed to be taking advantage of the fatherless or the widows. And you're not supposed to be shedding innocent blood. And so the king's going to pay the false prophets and the priests who have been uh, taken up for the king and taken up for the people, they're going to pay. And then the people themselves who have been doing these things, they're going to pay. And that's been the um, prophecy that's been spoken. We've seen other things, some important things that have happened in chapters 22 through 28. Um, many of those sermons we looked at in the past because when they were first mentioned in Jeremiah, we also looked at those chap later chapters that mentioned those same events. And so uh, the last few weeks we've been summarizing those. And then last week being where Hananiah, uh, where Jeremiah builds the yoke and then Hananiah comes and he says, thus says the Lord. And he has his own vision from God. He says it's from God. Thus says the Lord. So he says it's from God. Um, and he says that the yoke was temporary, that Jeremiah was wrong. Break it. It's over. Um, in fact, he says that the, everybody will be home in two years, not the 70 that Jeremiah has been talking about. And so uh, he says that, and Jeremiah says, amen. Hey, praise God. I hope you're right. I don't want the people to have to suffer like this. I don't want the Jerusalem to be destroyed. I, I hope that you're right. But the evidence of you being right will be when it comes to pass. Because if it doesn't, then you're a false prophet. Now, he just leaves it at, if it doesn't come to pass, um, then that proves you were wrong. But then he goes home, and God comes to him and says, Jeremiah, um, Hananiah, he's lying. And he, this is going to last 70 years. And so that's what we saw last week. Now, Hananiah dies, and just a heads up, uh, we're going to see, or I'll talk about at the end of chapter 9, we might not read it and look at it in detail, but at the end of chapter 29, more prophets, false prophets, die uh, because they are prophesying lies. So we have been looking at over the last few weeks the importance of knowing what is true, going to God's word and studying it. Now, in the prophets, the word of the Lord came to them. Right? So Jeremiah had to know that that was from God and then go speak for him. Uh, but then there were prophets who were wrong. And we don't see anywhere where we don't have, a, I don't know that we have a reason to believe that they knew 100% that what they were prophesying was wrong. They were just, I think, prophesying what they wanted to be true. That, that God was going to spare Jerusalem. That God was going to spare Judah. And that the exiles were coming home. And they were saying what they understood about God, what, what their understanding of him led them to believe. Now, their understanding of God was wrong, which is a whole other sermon. But their understanding of God led them to believe that he would not punish them. And that, that he was going to bring the exiles home. Now, 
A lot of this is history. I hope that you're still tuned in. I hope that you're not. Some of you love this. Some of you saw this timeline up on the screen and you got so excited and you were so excited we were going to be addressing this. And then some of you used to hear about history and that word makes your eyes glaze over and all that. So uh, I understand that for it, history is for some people and some people don't enjoy it that much, but it is important and it's vital for us to understand where we are in Jeremiah now. So the context of Jeremiah will be given in Jeremiah 29. Uh, sorry, the context of that chapter 29 will be given in the verses that we're about to look at. So with that said, remember, God's good plan prevails. We're looking at Jeremiah 29 and here's verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile. So last week, we talked about how important it is to know who is saying something, like who is writing this part of the Bible, to whom are they writing, why are they writing, what's the purpose for what they're writing, and all those things are important for us to know. And Jeremiah 29 is kind of like one of the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, which gives us all this information up front. And so in chapter 29, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah wrote, right? So Jeremiah sent it. He wrote it, and, and, and he's in Jerusalem, Jeremiah is, and he's sending it to the surviving elders of the exile. So the leaders that were taken into exile that are in Babylon, that's who he's writing it to. So how did he get this letter to Babylon? This is the rest of verse 1. So to the exiles, uh, the elders, sorry, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So we see Jeremiah's writing the letter to these people. He's in Jerusalem. He's sending the letter to Babylon. Verse 2, this was after King Jeconiah. This is what we talked about earlier. After King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So this is after they were taken into exile, this letter, and we looked at the dates of all that a second ago. But verse 3, the letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, or Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so when Jeconiah was taken, right, uh, into exile, Zedekiah is who became king. And so this letter is being sent by these people. Uh, Jeremiah sent the letter with these people, and this is what it said, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So thus says the Lord. We see this again. So Jeremiah is prophesying through a letter. Uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Now remember, this is directly connected to the previous chapter where um, Hananiah has broken the yoke and said that this they're coming home in two years. And uh, that's what the false prophets that were in exile were saying too. Not just Hananiah from Jerusalem, but the prophets who were in Babylon that were taken into exile, they're saying that God's going to send us home. Don't worry about it. It's okay. But that's the opposite of what God is saying. And Jeremiah is clarifying here. He's telling them to build houses and live in them. No need to build a house. Just rent one, right? Just live wherever if you're only going to be there for a short time and going home. But they're to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. This is evidence that they're, they're going to be there for a while. Take wives, so get married, 
and have sons and daughters, have children. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not, not, do not decrease. So they're going to be there for a while. Build houses, build, plant gardens, have babies, get married, have babies. Uh, all this stuff that Jeremiah is saying in verse 6. And then in verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now, if we, I'm assuming most of you watching this are Americans, but whatever country you're from, if, if we are taken out of our country and into a foreign country, into exile, and made to live there, taken from everything we know, and placed in this foreign land, um, the temptation might be to fight with all of your might to get back home. But Jeremiah is saying, no, don't do that. He's saying, plant roots in that city. Plant roots in that place and seek the welfare, the good of that city where I have sent you, that city being Babylon, which by the way, think about if God told you this. You don't get to go home. This is your punishment. You're staying in this foreign land and, and you have to seek the good of the people who just defeated you in battle and took you into exile. And in 586, they're going to destroy the temple. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. Um, but anyway... Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into, into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So they're supposed to not only seek good for it, they're supposed to pray for the country where they're sent into exile. For in its welfare, you find your welfare. They're citizens of this land. They might as well do what's good for the country because m most of these people are going to die there. Se a 70-year exile, as we're going to see in a second, I'm not spoiling anything. It's already been said in Jeremiah. It'll be said again. Um, but they're supposed to, they're going to be there for a long time, so they better seek the good of the city because what happens with the city, so goes the city, so goes them. And so now, New Testament thinking, we can look at this as Christians, and no matter what country you live in around the world, that is not your home. Our home is in heaven. We, we long for our home. Our home is with the Lord. That's our eternal place where we're going to be uh, for eternity. And so, and so when we look at this, we have to make sure that we see that whatever country God has placed us in, for me and most people watching this, that's the United States of America, we have to seek the good, the long-term good for everybody in the country, for all of its citizens, because what's best for the country, what's best for its citizens, are best for us as citizens of the United States, but also we know that our citizenship is in heaven, that this is just a temporary place. Our eternal home is somewhere else. And so, but for these people, they're literally taken from Jerusalem into Babylon, and God is saying, seek what's best for Babylon because that's what's best for you. That's deep, and we should just acknowledge that for a second. We should want what's best for whatever country we live in. It should be important to us because it, it matters. Because temporary as this might be, this side of eternity and all these temporary things that will pass away, they affect eternal things, specifically the souls of men. And so we should desire to see people come to know God. We should desire to see people, uh, to show people his love, to show people... Um, how good he is and how much he cares for them 
so that they can get a glimpse of that and give their life to him so that they can uh, follow him and be saved and their eternal home can be in heaven. Okay, continuing into verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, okay, so for those of you who have been listening the last couple of weeks, for thus says the Lord, right, that's very important. It's coming from God. The, what the false prophets are saying, they're saying, thus says the Lord too. But the difference is, is what Jeremiah says comes to pass. What the false prophets say doesn't. And so, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, or diviners, who are among you, deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. This kind of goes back to last week with Hananiah. Did he know he was lying, or was he just saying, what he wanted to be true? Was he just saying um, what he thought was best for the king and the country? And here we are again. These people are really having dreams. It says right here, do not listen to the dreams that they dream. These people believe these things. They're convinced these things are true. They're even having the dreams. And yet what they're saying isn't true. We have to be careful about who we listen to, about what we believe. We, when it comes to biblical matters, we better go back to the Word of God and we better ask those questions like we were talking about earlier. Who is saying it? To, to whom are they saying it? Why is it being said? Because if, if, if there's not an importance in that, if we don't see the truth of what's going on there, then it's going to be very difficult to take what God said, thus says the Lord, to take what God said in Scripture and apply it to modern day life if we don't even understand what's being said originally. It's, it's going to be near impossible. Instead, we're going to say, here's what I think this means, or here's what this means to me, talking about God's Word. Well, that doesn't matter. We were talking about this at prayer meeting Wednesday night. It doesn't matter what we think this means. It matters what it means. It matters what it says. And you might think, well, there's no way for us to really know what the Bible says. Yes, it is. It is possible. Are there parts that are confusing? Absolutely. But those are small parts in, in, that um, maybe we can read it the way it's meant to be read and still come to a disagreement on exactly what it means. But it's not going to affect the way we apply what it means because if, if, there's, if something is said in Scripture once, it's usually said many times. And so even if we don't understand that passage, we can understand the whole passage. So go back, study God's word. What does it say? And once you realize what it says and what it meant to the original audience, then we can determine how to apply it to our lives. But we can't shape and mess up scripture to make it fit what we think it should mean in our modern day lives. We can't do that. We figure out what it means and what it meant back then. And when we figure that out, we can determine then how to apply that in our lives and in our society and whatever the case might be. And so, he's warning them. Don't even listen to these false prophets. Don't even listen to the dreams that they dream. And, and then we get to verse 9. For it is a lie. Now, they're dreaming it, but that doesn't make it true. They're wanting it to be true, but that doesn't make it true. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, that's interesting that he's saying he did not send them because these people have been labeled as prophets and priests for God. 
But he's saying that in that, what they're saying, he didn't tell them to say that. And so he's saying he didn't send them to say these specific things. They're lying. And I would say, I don't even think they know that they're lying. Because they really are having the dreams. They really are believing that God's going to take them home in two years. And, and by the way, if there would have ever been repentance, I'm sure that God would have relented. I'm sure that the punishment wouldn't have been that bad. But they never did. And if we don't repent, God does not relent from the destruction that he has promised. The ra'ah, if you remember that sermon, the bad stuff that God says will happen. And so, um, they're not going home in two years. Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place. To what place? Well, where's Jeremiah writing from? From Jerusalem. So the exiles that are in Babylon, you're going to be there 70 years. That's why it's important to build a house, plant a garden, get married, have babies, make sure your kids get married, because they're going to be there for generations. They're going to be there for 70 years. And But God will fulfill his promise to bring them back. But this is a severe punishment. And it should be. If you have read Jeremiah, you understand why God is punishing. You understand why this punishment is so severe. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. This is incredible. Because we have this. I have this on something at my house. I'm sure many of you have this verse You know, plans for good and not for evil. I'm sure that you have this. But we so often pluck this verse out of its context and just make it, a lot of us make it mean, God's not going to let anything bad happen to me because he has good plans for me. Well, is that what this, this is saying? These people, their home has been destroyed. They've been taken into exile. And the whole city of Jerusalem, all of Judah, is going to be destroyed in a few years from when this is written. And the false prophets are saying, we're going to go home in a couple years. And Jeremiah is saying, no, it's going to be 70 years. This is what God has told me. It's going to happen, and you'll see it fulfilled in time. And so when we look at this verse in context, to me, that doesn't make it more depressing. That makes it more beautiful. It makes it more amazing because these people got themselves into this mess. It was their sins. And sure, the false prophets and the priests were leading them astray, but they wouldn't have believed it if they didn't want to believe it. They wouldn't have believed it if they knew God themselves and were studying what the the book of the law said and what the other prophets had said. They they would not be believing this if they were doing that. And, And so these people wanted to continue in their sin, so they wanted to believe the false prophets, and this was their punishment. And even though they got themselves into this mess, even though it's their own fault they're in exile, even though it's their own fault that God is bringing this punishment down on them, God still says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, because God's good plans prevail. God's plan prevails. And he knows his plans. And they are, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans 
for welfare. That's good, but not just good, but good on your behalf. This is for your good. Plans for welfare and not for evil. It might look like evil. They've been destroyed. They've been taken as exiles. They're being told they're going to stay there for 70 years. This might look like bad, raw, evil plans, but these are good. Toba, good plans. Plans for their good, for their welfare, and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. So what does this mean for us? It means for us what it meant for them. How many of us have sinned? How many of us has messed, have messed up? All of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to the New Testament. And so, even when we've sinned, even when we've gotten ourselves into a mess, and by the way, we have to deal with the earthly consequences of our sins and our mistakes and our bad deeds. We have to pay for that on this side of eternity a lot of time. Not all the time. Some people get away with stuff on this side of eternity. But none of us will get away with it when it comes to standing before God's throne and Him taking account in, at the judgment. But most of the time, we have to suffer the consequences of our bad actions. But even those consequences, even the bad that happens to us, look around you right now. Take count of the bad stuff that's happening. We can all fill a journal with all the bad stuff that's happening in our world right now. But here's the promise for those of us who are called according to his name. He knows the plans he has for us and they're plans for our good. They're plans for our welfare. They are not evil plans. It might look evil. We might look around us and say, why is this happening? Why is there, why is there so much sickness in our world? So much pain in our world? So much strife in our world? So much war in our world? We can look around and we can see all the bad. But we have to believe that God knows what he's doing. He's working it together for good, for our good. And we might not be able to see that good in two years. We might not even be able to see that good on this side of eternity. But one day, we will stand before our Savior, whom we love, and we will get to, to be with Him for an eternity. And I believe with all of my heart that just like now, from 2020, we can look back into the ancient past and we can look at what was happening in 594 BC and we can see how God was working it all out for the good of Israel and, and the other people involved. In that same way, I believe that one day from heaven, from the future, we'll be able to look back and see what God was doing in 2020. If we look at what's happening in the world and we get our hope and our foundation in that, then we're, we're in trouble because things look chaotic. They are chaotic. Things are falling apart. But God is still on the throne, and God is still good, and we can still trust him. He knows the plans he has for us. God's plan prevails, and it is for our good, for his glory ultimately. But if we're followers of his, if, if we love him, then it's going to work out for our good too. You can go to Romans 8.28 and you can see the same type of thing said in the New Testament. That, that he knows the plans he has for us and he's working them together for good for those who love him or, and are called according to his purposes. And so I'm going to read this verse one more time because I don't want to move on. They're going to be there 70 years, but for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. So after the 70 years, guess what's going to happen? Repentance and revival. 
What a novel idea. What if they would have done this earlier? But they didn't. So let's go on to verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. We can call out to God now and we can say, God, I'm sorry for these things that I've done. I'm sorry that I lived my life in this way that dishonors you. I'm sorry that I treated these people like this. I'm sorry that I did this. We can go to God now and cry out to him and maybe he will spare us from the consequences of our actions, which I'm not saying coronavirus because that's a disease. I have no idea if God is using that to punish or what his purposes are in that. I know he's going to work it together for good, but I don't know why he's doing that and what he's bringing about. But there's a lot of other stuff around us that we can look around and we know it is the direct consequences of our choices and our actions. And we can see the pain that's happening in our country right now and whatever side of it you're on, you, you might, it might be hard for us to see the pain that our side is causing, but we can see the pain that is being caused from at least one side. And, and I'm telling you that if we would go to God as Christians... Now, I'm not even talking about the whole country because the whole country is not Christian, right? We as individuals have put our faith in Jesus. Those of us who have done that, who are followers of his, then we are Christians. And we can call on his name and we can ask him to forgive us and we can ask him to, to make us right and to help us to, to be his witnesses here, not just in America, but across the world. And that we would, would, would reveal the love of Christ to a world who needs it so much. We can go to him and we can call out to him and we can ask him to forgive us. And if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, you can put your faith and trust in him right now because there's nothing better for us to do than to put our faith and trust in God who has a plan and is working it out for good. And we might not understand it and it might not look good, but one day we'll see that it was good. So then you will call upon me. Now, we're not going to speak, I'm not going to speak too much to this today, but I will tell you that if you, you want to see this come to fruition, read Ezra, read Nehemiah, read these things that took place after the exile and after the return of people to Jerusalem and the temple being rebuilt and those things that are mentioned in those books. And, and, and not only there, but in th th those are two good books to go to. And, and you will see the people call on him and pray to him and you will see that he hears them and he does bring revival. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are we doing that right now? For them, this was the answer. It was going to be a while before they did it, but Jeremiah prophesied that they would do it. We need to seek him with all of our heart and when we do, we will find him. Lay aside everything you want. Lay aside your preferences. Lay aside your desires. Lay aside everything because those things we've already seen in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things. Those things led the prophet to prophesy false prophecies, to say things that weren't true. And those things today lead us to take stands and, and, and treat others in certain ways and do things that we shouldn't do. And, and we can't trust what we desire. We have to seek God with our heart. Don't give your heart over to the, your own desires or the desires of this world. Seek God with all of your heart and you will find him. Last verse. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore revival, restoration. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. 
and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God knows the end of the exile before it even began. And here he is writing a letter through Jeremiah to the people in Babylon. And he is saying, I know the plans I have for you, for your welfare and not for evil. They're for your good. And he's going to bring them back. He knows what he is doing. And just like he knew then, he knows now. What was he saying to those people? Year after year, he was saying, repent. Year after year, he was saying, judgment is coming if you don't repent. They continually worshipped other gods. They continually neglected the foreigner. They neglected the fatherless. They neglected the widows. They spilled innocent blood year after year. And here's God's judgment. And the judgment might feel bad, but the judgment was for their good. And the proof is in what came to be, what came to pass. And in Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah didn't get to see everybody come home. We'll get to that. But others like Nehemiah and Ezra, they did. They got to see people be released by Cyrus and, and others back to Jerusalem, back to rebuild the city, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. They saw the revival that took place. And what's sad is, is that not even the 70-year exile helped the revival to last. The people fell away from God again. And we see that in the Old Testament. And then we go on to the New Testament, and God brings a new covenant where he has filled us with his Holy Spirit, those of us who have put our faith in him. We have been given new life. And we're, we're not living for the temporary. We're not living for what's around us but at the same time we are to seek the welfare of the city that we live in babylon for them mansfield for me wherever your city that you live in is wherever your community is we're to seek good for the people around us we're to seek justice and righteousness as uh, we've seen in jeremiah we're to make sure that we're taking care of the people who need to be taken care of because when we're doing good for the people around us that good is inevitably going to be good for us. And if not here on this side of eternity, God will reward us for the good that we have done. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by grace through faith. But we are saved for good works. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so, for those of you who have been listening to this sermon, I hope that you're encouraged that God is able to work good from coronavirus, uh, from the political situation in our country right now, from everything that's going on around us, from the trouble that we've gotten ourselves into due to our actions, whatever it is, God can work good from it. But eventually we have to repent. Why not be, let that be right now? Let's pray. Let's ask God to forgive us of the sins that we've committed now. Let's ask God to work good together now. And, and we know that he'll work it in his time and in his way, but maybe that is right now. And if we ask, maybe he'll give that to us. And so pray with me. Lord, we love you. And I pray that you would work everything together for our welfare, for our good. And, and, not, and we know your plans are not for evil. They're for good, for your people. 
And so I pray that you would use us in our countries right now, where whatever country we're from. Lord, I pray that you would use us for the good of the people around us in whatever city we're in, that we would do good and, and not harm, that, that we would seek what is good and seek your glory. And not the glory of men, not our own glory, but your glory. Lord, speak truth to our hearts through your word. Help us to understand what thus says the Lord means, what you have said. Help us to understand what your word says so that we can live it out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, I hope that you have enjoyed this. Um, again, we don't know exactly when we're going to be meeting again in person. We're going to watch things for two weeks, and we'll make an announcement. If we can meet again together, we will. If we feel like it's the safest thing and the best thing for us to do is to not, then we will continue meeting in this manner. Um, just so you know where we were on one issue, uh, the search team before coronavirus hit and we had to stop meeting in person, the youth search team had already found a youth minister, someone that they wanted to suggest to the church, to bring before the church, uh, as an associate pastor of youth uh, who would help in not just some youth responsibilities but would also have opportunities to preach on Sunday morning. And our plan was, when, once we started back, uh, that we would make this announcement this week and then in two weeks have a special call business meeting um, on June 28th and, and in between then give you opportunities to meet this guy. Of course, a lot of it will have to be virtual now, um, but give you opportunities to meet this guy. But I, I'm not sure exactly what our plans are right now. Things are up in the air. And so uh, we, we might be able to move forward with that special call business meeting um, where someone comes in view of a call and we decide whether to um, that we believe God is leading him to our church or not, this person that the search team has pinpointed. And we've had conversations with um, the personnel team. We already have a job description finalized. We, we've had uh, conversations with the finance team. Uh, before all this happened, and, and we, I talked to the uh, chairman of the finance team again, and so uh, all that's to say, we know who we want to call. We know who we want to bring before the church to see if, if that's what the church, who the church believes God is calling, um, but with this happening, uh, we're going to stay in touch about what's happening and, and what, what's hap what we're going to do. Uh, now, technically, our bylaws and constitution do not allow for people who are um, not on site, on campus, to vote. But my suggestion is going to be that at the beginning of that special call business meeting, that we make a motion to allow for people to vote by phone, by computer, whatever the case might be, if we move forward with this um, before coronavirus is over. And we can't stop everything. We're a church. We're still doing ministry. We're tr still trying to reach teenagers. We're trying to reach the people in our community. And so um, we don't know how long this is going to go on. And so we want to move forward, but we want to do it in the right way. And we'll make sure that we clearly communicate what that is um, through letter, through um, social media and other methods uh, in the coming days. So thank you guys. I love y'all. And I just pray that you were encouraged by today's uh, passage. And remember that uh, God knows the plans he has for you and they're for your welfare. They're for your good and, and not for evil. So uh, 